on today's episode of Mile Higher. Tonight on that missing Titanic submersible. Racing against time to find that missing submersible. The clock is ticking in the search for a missing submersible. Stockton said that as long as the pressure vessel was not going to collapse, everything else could fail and the sub would be fine. Death was apparently mentioned three times in the first page of the waiver. Stockton said, I've broken some rules to make Titan. I think I've broken them with logic and good engineering. The Titan wasn't like any previous deep sea submersible. There was no dashboard, just a touchscreen computer and a single power button. But many of its components seemed surprisingly cheap. Now the sub sounds like an absolute nightmare to me. Stockton, I think, fully understood all the risks involved with doing this. I mean, if you just want to be safe, don't get out of bed. Don't get in your car. Don't do anything. Had Stockton actually spent the money, did the proper research and proper innovation. It does really piss me off, though, that he said that this was safer than crossing the street. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 260. And today we are back without a guest. And it's been a minute. Last been three episodes, weeks. we've had been guests. A few weeks, yeah. Yeah. Exciting times. It has been exciting times. It's been interesting. But I miss this. I miss just talking with you, you know? Yeah. I think a lot of you have missed it too. I'm sure they have. I mean, it's good to have guests because it's, it it's, it kind of, Freshens up the show, I feel Switch like, it and and it's always interesting to talk to mm-hmm. people out there and different subjects that we're we're mm-hmm. interested in. I mean, we've different had opinions, Graham Hancock and Mitch Morrissey yep. was also very interesting. Very interesting. So, we would love to have Mitch back too. We were kind of talking with him after we recorded about ways we can work together in the yeah, future. Maybe collab on a case together, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. would be be really fun. Yeah. But today we are covering. Oh yes. The number one story in the world. This has been so highly requested. Um, we would have gotten to this sooner if we didn't have all these guest episodes planned. But honestly, it's good we waited until now because more and more information has come out. Yeah, and as of recording this episode, I, I don't think there's been a whole lot of new updates around, yeah, around the, last the story. Few days, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that we're kind of just sitting tight waiting to see you know, what the debris looks like and yeah, uh, the potential remains that were recovered. Yeah, this was a crazy story. Really gripped America for the a world. while. Well, the world, the yeah. The world. I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's no small feat to visit the bottom of the ocean. And, no, it is not. And so, whenever you reach this new frontier, right? There's always risks that go along with it, and yeah, you know, space. There's always risks with that. What's crazy is that there's been more people to the moon than to the bottom of the ocean. Well, I see why. Sounds way scarier and more risky to go yeah. to the bottom of the ocean. 95% of the ocean is unexplored, too. Mm-hmm. And you have to, mm-hmm. it's just crazy. It's that, hard to even wrap your mind around. Yeah. 95%. We have no idea what the fuck on our own planet. It's insane. And yet we're always so focused on like what's beyond Earth, mm-hmm. yet we don't even know what's here, what's below the surface Mm-mm. of the ocean. So if you haven't already caught on, today we're going to be talking about Ocean Gate, the Titan submersible disaster and uh everything that we know about it so far but also taking a look at ocean gate as a whole Mm -hmm. the founder of ocean gate a little bit more because obviously yeah there's more there's more to the story than just Mm -hmm. the tragedy that took place yeah and it's i think it's helpful to understand kind of where all this started Mm -hmm. who's behind it and kind of all the events leading up to the the absolute tragedy that took place where five people lost their lives and really just get the whole picture you know Mm -hmm. but watching this all play out has been really um gripping scary fascinating in a weird way learning more about how submersibles work and the reality of taking such a risk and just going as deep as as mm-hmm. the Titan submersible mm-hmm. would go. I mean, going yeah thirteen thousand plus feet. Yeah, we we like many. We're definitely just hanging on to the news cycle, trying to see if there would be any updates, hoping that maybe they would rescue these five. Um, at one point, I really thought maybe it was possible, especially when there was banging heard. At one point, that's when I started to think 
maybe they're really alive. Maybe this will be some miraculous recovery, even though the odds really were stacking against them. Um, obviously, that's not what happened. No, and the information that was being put out by the news was not exactly accurate. No. There was more information. Fed they already knew essentially what had happened yep. way before any of us actually yeah. really heard about what was going on. And so there's obviously feelings around that. But for those that don't know, Ocean Gate Expeditions is really, I guess, famous for putting people on this submersible five people at a time, the Titan, and sending them down to the Titanic wreck. And that's really their, I guess, claim to fame is is going down and viewing the Titanic wreck. And a lot of people are willing to pay a lot of money to do this. A lot of money. It makes me wonder, it's like, what is this this fascination with the Titanic that people would be willing to risk your life to go and see it? Yeah. And I get, like, the Titanic is the most famous shipwreck of all time. And yeah. it's really got this, I don't know, it, it's, there's I mean, this fascination around it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the movie obviously really helped make it really well known to a lot of people and... I think it's just kind of mind-blowing the whole story of how it went down and we've done an episode on the Titanic a long long time ago and there's a lot of interesting sort of theories around what happened with the Titanic and there's some conspiracy around it as well but I think it's just mind-blowing I think it was like 1500 people perished on on the Titanic and there was enough lifeboats and so it's really this eerie thing that's It is that that people are fascinated with and this wreck sitting at the on the ocean floor. And in in my opinion, I don't think we should be exploring down there. I think we should let those souls rest. I think it's I don't know. There's something about it that hits me the wrong way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. James Cameron um had a very interesting quote about the Titan disaster and how it's like history repeating itself. I know it really is. And that, that really struck me as true. Honestly, it's like, mm -hmm. it's the same. It's, is it our own ignorance that led to this disaster? And we'll, we'll explore this, this more in this episode, but it's really like kind of the same thing happened over again. You know, the Titanic, yeah. the captain made a major mistake. They didn't see the iceberg. They hit the iceberg. They sank this there was warnings about the potential safety yeah. concerns around the sub mm -hmm. continued on anyway mm -hmm. and this disaster happened and now there's two wrecks at the bottom of the ocean mm -hmm. so we're going to dig into ocean gate first and really take a look at the man behind ocean gate because he's a very interesting individual but i'm really curious before we start josh you always say you'd want to go on a space trip you'd want to go on a spaceship go to maybe mars you always seem to be willing i just want to go <laughs> i just want to see the earth from space that's like my i mean who doesn't my, but would you take the risk yeah because i think space flight's almost safer it is safer it's yeah, safer, it is safer than but than there's going. still a risk absolutely even as a parent you would still well i don't know things have changed now yeah i mean i would probably reconsider that a little bit but I would still, I would still, if I were given an option of go to the bottom of the ocean yeah, or I'm go thinking. to the moon or just go into space for a day, I'd, take, I'd go the space option every single time. Okay. So what if space is not even part of the equation here, but you had a free ticket to go on one of these submersibles, maybe not to see the Titanic, but just to go as deep. As deep? Yeah. As deep as this no, one was supposed to go. Absolutely not. You wouldn't? No, and what was interesting was before all this all this happened, I was just I was I think I was scrolling one of the apps and I was watching a video of there's a submersible in Hawaii that's oh, a I've small that. submersible yes. that will take you to They do multiple tours a day though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they don't yeah. go that deep. No. I mean it just allows you to hang out, you know. If yeah, you're not able cool. to scuba dive, then being in a submersible is kind of your other option. Because for me, I have really sensitive ears. When oh, it comes yeah. to pressure, I can't go deeper oh, than dude. like 12 mm -hmm. feet almost like you i can be able to my ears go crazy so that kind of eliminates scuba diving for me as much as that would be a really cool thing to do and maybe one day i might give it a try and just yeah, see I if i can do issue. it and 
and and be able to clear my ears as I went deeper. Because obviously it's a whole other world under there and there's so much to see. There's so much life that exists under our oceans that's beautiful and peaceful and it looks amazing. Like mm -hmm. we have a we have a reef fish tank at home and sometimes I wish I could just get in there and swim around and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> experience what it's like to yeah. be under the ocean. So submarines or submersibles really give you that that opportunity without mm -hmm. having to deal with all of the I guess the risks and hazards with scuba diving, you know, and having to have that training and be without able to, going super deep. Yeah, exactly. And go deeper than you can. Scuba yeah, diving. no, that would be cool. Because, yeah, I would love to scuba dive. I can't either. My ears are all messed up. But um, I don't think I would go in a submersible just to go see a shipwreck. Though. Absolutely not. And I don't really get the appeal of it at all. Because I mean, I understand it's, you know, it's an adventure. It's doing something that no one else has ever done. But they had a very small window to look out of. And yep. then they're watching most of it on a TV screen. So I don't know. For me, it's like, I don't, I don't see the appeal. Well, I think it's the same thing as people who climb Mount Everest, right? There's, yeah, there's, there's a group of individuals who that they thrive on that mm -hmm. sort of risk and danger. And they want to be one of those people that have Doing done things, the most risky, yeah. dangerous things on the planet. And this is one of them. And I, think I it's commend also those people. Too, you like, have to be brave to do this. Like. Doing something that no one else, yeah. not many people have done. Okay, well, let's go ahead and jump in. Um, today, we're going to be starting our coverage on this event with a very interesting person, 61-year-old Richard Stockton Rush III. He went by his middle name, Stockton. And Stockton has an interesting lineage, actually. He's a descendant of two founding fathers who signed the Declaration of Independence, Benjamin Rush and Richard Stockton. Stockton's family made their money in oil, and he grew up very wealthy. He was a Princeton Aerospace Engineering graduate and a pilot. He designed and flew airplanes, and he designed submersibles. He was a charming, friendly, and quick-witted guy who liked to dream big. Stockton invested parts of his inheritance in tech and engineering. He'd always been interested in Mars, and he wanted to be one of the first people to visit the planet. He dreamed of being a fighter pilot and then going to space, but his vision wasn't good enough. But joining a private commercial space flight was something he considered, but he lost interest in being just a passenger. He told Smithsonian Magazine, I didn't want to go up into space as a tourist. I wanted to be Captain Kirk on the Enterprise, Star Trek reference. So he turned his attention to the ocean. Instead of putting humans on Mars, Stockton's goal was to put people at the bottom of the ocean. He thought the final frontier was right here on Earth. And all that money went into his new venture, submersibles to take people there. He founded the company OceanGate with co-founder Guillermo Sonlin in 2009, and the company is based in Everett, Washington. OceanGate is the company that designed and built submersibles. OceanGate Expeditions is their tour company that took paying customers on those submersibles. So it all began when they purchased a used submersible with a steel hull named Antipodes. The company used Antipodes for years, charging passengers anywhere from $7,500 to $40,000 per person, and the company put the sub up for sale in 2018, and it had been on over a 1,000 dives since it was first built. The company also began construction of their own subs, and they built Cyclops 1 to take tourists on undersea expeditions. And just so people are aware, because I didn't know this either, there's a difference between submersibles and submarines. Um, submarines are usually larger and they have a crew and are most of the time used for like military purposes. Although like, doesn't Disney have a submarine or something you can go on? Disney? I don't know. I thought there was like some type of ride you could go on. Oh, or, the like, some type, Finding not Nemo ride, one. But, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, the Finding Nemo one. Anyways, whatever. The Finding Nemo one's an actual submarine? <laughs> I think there's like, you know recreational submarines that people use as well but for the hmm. most part they're used for military purposes but gotcha. submersibles are way smaller and usually have a smaller crew or no crew at all um and they're mostly just used for research or in this case exploration yeah i had never heard the term submersible i thought neither had I. everything that goes underwater like that is a submarine but it is not it is the finding nemo submarine voyages that's what is it is what yeah. it's called yeah and they actually go out in the ocean Mm -hmm. Wow. How much does Walt it looks? For I that? mean, it looks like a submarine. I don't think it's anything crazy. I think no. You're going like 60 feet, maybe. And uh, you're you're at... in Disney water. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's not. Yeah. They made like their own reef and stuff. I'm pretty sure. In like the lake? In Orlando? <laughs> I don't know exactly. <laughs> yeah. Literally. Hmm. Okay. 
Interesting. You know, it's Disney, man. Disney magic. Anyways, the Ocean Gate sub expeditions usually took passengers to see things like marine life or undersea canyons. But Stockton realized that the real money would be in visiting wreckage sites of famous sunken ships. Not only do these wreckage dives bring in a lot of money, they attracted a lot of media attention as well. And Stockton figured what would make the most money and get the most media attention? Expeditions to the most famous shipwreck of all time, the RMS Titanic. So before we go any further on Ocean Gate, we're going to do a quick refresher on the sinking of the Titanic. The RMS Titanic was launched on May 31st, 1911. It was a luxury cruise liner that would take passengers to destinations overseas. It was an absolute feat of human engineering. Massive, the biggest of its time, and beautifully decorated. The ship was advertised as the unsinkable Titanic. Even the name gave off the feeling of strength and enormity, as it was named after the elder Greek gods of mythology, the Titans. The ship set out on its maiden voyage on April 10, 1912, and everything was smooth sailing until the night of April 14th. The ship was out on open water on a moonless night, sailing through a field of icebergs. The captain had received a telegram earlier warning of the danger that the icebergs posed, but he continued on the same course, an overconfident decision that sealed the Titanic's fate. On April 14th, just before midnight, the Titanic struck a large iceberg, creating a massive gash in the ship's hull. It took on water and began to sink. Many of you know the story, but panic ensued as the 2,200 people on board hurried to the lifeboats, but there weren't enough lifeboats to fit everyone on board. The code of conduct rule was women and children first, and it was not well followed. Some lifeboats were launched half full or less, leaving behind hundreds of souls on board. Most of the passengers that boarded the lifeboats were the wealthy first-class passengers. The third class and the crew cabins were at the lower decks of the ship, so they had a higher chance of perishing as the ship quickly sank. And out of the about 710 third-class passengers on board, only about 174 survived. And about 700 of the fatalities were crew members. On April 15, 1912, the RMS Titanic officially sank. An estimated 1,500 people lost their lives in the disaster. The wreck still sits at the bottom of the ocean, about 3,800 meters or 12,500 feet below sea level. The site is basically a massive grave with personal belongings of the dead still sitting on the seafloor to this day. In 1997, the blockbuster drama film Titanic was released in theaters and the director of the movie is James Cameron and he's become an expert in submersibles. Over the years, he's gone on dozens of dives to the Titanic wreckage. Interestingly enough, Stockton's wife, Wendy, is actually the great-great-granddaughter of Isidore and Ida Strauss. They were famously a wealthy couple who died in the Titanic sinking. Survivors said that Isidore refused to take a seat on a lifeboat when he saw that women and children were still waiting to leave. When his wife, Ida, saw this, she declared that she wouldn't leave her husband. They were seen standing in arm on the deck as it plummeted into the freezing waters. In James Cameron's movie Titanic, they're the elderly couple holding each other in bed as the ship went down. So it's an interesting connection because Stockton started working on a sub that could take people to the ship his wife's family had passed on, and that sub was named Titan after the Titanic itself. The sub was originally known as Cyclops 2, and it began sea trials in 2018 and went on its first Titanic dive in 2021. The hull was made out of five-inch thick carbon fiber and reinforced with two titanium end caps. Ocean Gate claimed that the Titan could submerge to a maximum depth of 4,000 meters, or 13,123 feet. The sub would be launched and recovered in the water using a mothership. The mothership wasn't tethered to the sub and couldn't rescue it. So basically, it just transported the sub and communicated with it on dives. Multiple backup systems were installed to bring the sub back to the surface in case of emergency. This included a passive system. Sandbags were attached to dissolvable hooks. After a certain amount of time, the hooks would dissolve and release the sandbags. This would allow the sub to surface even if the occupants were unconscious. But if the sub had no buoyancy, the systems would fail. The carbon fiber was allegedly sourced from Boeing, and they sold it to OceanGate because it was too old for them to use. Boeing claims they have no record of any such sale and has denied working with OceanGate. 
NASA apparently served as consultants on the whole, which is something their reps have since denied. Stockton said that as long as the pressure vessel was not going to collapse, everything else could fail and the sub would be fine. Stockton advertised this RTM, a real-time hole monitoring system, that was supposed to alert the pilot about any buckling or defect in the sub's hole. It was supposed to use sensors to give real-time updates of the hole's health as it went deeper. And it was advertised that this RTM system would give the pilot advance warning of a hole defect. That way, they'd be able to surface the sub safely before anything bad happened. But basically, by the time a defect even happens, it's too late anyway. So the system was useless. Now, the sub sounds like an absolute nightmare to me. I could not imagine getting in one of these things. It could fit five people inside, which obviously is pretty cramped with no room to stand. So people with claustrophobia should probably not apply. Passengers could view the outside via camera feed from monitors inside the sub, which again, I don't see the appeal if you can't even look outside. So here's a little tour of the sub and um, Stockton's in this video as well. So we're coming into the sub. This is the only toilet available on a deep diving submersible. Best seat in the house. Don't even talk about before. We put a privacy screen in, turn up the music. So that's where and, the window uh, is at uh, the back. Very popular. Yeah. The only we place have our, to look uh, out. Control screen here, our sonar screen here, and we can put any image we want in the back. We've taken a completely new approach to the sub design, and it's oh, all boy. run with this game controller and these touch screens. So if you want to go forward, you press forward. If you want to go back, you go back, turn left, turn right, go down, go up. And it's Bluetooth, so I can hand it to anybody. And it's meant for a 16-year-old to throw it around and super durable. We keep a couple of spares on board just in case. That is the most insane part of this to me. When that first came out that it was controlled by a game controller, I thought people were saying it was something comparable to a game controller. I didn't realize it was an actual fucking game controller. That is Yeah, it's just a insane. Logitech. You can buy one on Amazon for like, I don't know, 80 to 100 bucks or something. How do you know that it's not defective or there's something well, wrong they have with a, it? Well, or... they have a couple backups. So, I mean... But still... This is like a something that I think a lot of people don't understand is like these game controllers are actually very, very reliable. Like... If you think about it, the amount of hours that a person gets out of a game controller is thousands and thousands and thousands of hours. So they build them. It, it seems silly because it's for gaming, but the actual device itself is actually kind of smart because it's a lot cheaper than having to build some proprietary system. And based on the actual software that they're using in the sub, it's a Windows-based system. So it works best with the software and it doesn't cost a ton of money to build this whole proprietary software and hardware system which you could one could say well isn't that less reliable the thing about it though is, is that it's probably easier for them to fix in the event there was a failure with that system it's more simple because it's much simpler i mean it runs mm -hmm. off bluetooth so it's just a bluetooth connection to the Ugh. the computer or whatever whatever's in the sub so and those game controllers like he just said are meant for a 16 year old to throw around so they're actually pretty pretty durable and you know, they work well. I mean, there's a reason why you get thousands and thousands of hours out of a game controller. It seems surprising to the average person, but yeah. this is actually a very, a much more common thing than which I had even, no even idea. Because I, I think a lot of us, a a lot of us don't know what technologies used in a lot of these vehicles mm -hmm. and submersibles and things like that. Because we thinking like to the space shuttle, like the right. You know, you're, they have like or or airplanes you know they have like their own proprietary mm -hmm. systems for piloting and things like that so you just assume that all craft use a similar right. system but it's a plane if you think about it has a lot more moving parts it's flying through the air there's flaps there's tail you know versus the submersibles there's not as you know there's you're you're in water too so you're not you don't have as many things that you like parts needed in order to move yourself through the water, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess to me, because I have no understanding for this type of equipment, it sounded insane. Sounds insane, but it's it actually does. a very um, cost-effective solution. So like you just saw, the window is in the bathroom and there's a privacy curtain on it. It doesn't have a door. And Stockton says that they would just turn the music up really loud when someone uh, uses the bathroom. And this game controller that we were talking about, the Logitech video game controller, um, costs something around 30 bucks. And the one that they were using is a 10-year-old model. This has been a huge point of discussion for people, as you can imagine. It's been a point of discussion for us. But what's interesting is 
that the video game controllers are actually used by the U.S. Navy to pilot many of their submarines. For example, they use Xbox controllers to pilot their Virginia-class attack subs and the 377-foot USS Colorado. Just never would have guessed that. Here's some more on the construction of the submersible. Like any previous deep-sea submersible, there was no dashboard, just a touchscreen computer and a single power button. We only have one button, that's it. Wait a minute, I've, I've seen submersibles, and they are banks of controls, yeah. like, like cockpit after cockpit. Exactly. And this is to other submersibles what the iPhone was to the Blackbird. But many of its components seemed surprisingly cheap. For views outside the sub, he had installed store-bought security cameras. As for the ceiling lights... I got these from uh, Camper World. And then there was the steering unit. We run the whole thing with this game controller. <laughs> Come on! So see, to the average person, like a lot shocking. of the way you made this is by taking off-the-shelf parts and sort of MacGyvering them together. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Does that not raise anybody's eyebrows in the industry? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I'm definitely an outlier. There were a lot of rules out there that didn't make engineering sense to me. Which the main reasons for it being money. I mean, it costs a lot of money to engineer a whole new piloting system. Yeah, so he saved a ton of money by using existing technology mm -hmm. that was out there to kind of put this thing together. Kind of like work smarter, not harder, and spend less. But obviously when you're going to the bottom of the yeah. ocean, you'd think maybe it's worth spending that extra money to yeah. develop some new technology. But at first, the price per person for the Titanic expedition was around 100,000 US dollars. But at the time of this final expedition, the price was $250,000 per person, literally quarter of a million bucks. The price made it basically impossible for anyone but the super wealthy or people who'd saved their whole lives to see the wreck with OceanGate. Because for a lot of these people on board, I mean, it's like the equivalent of like a dinner out, you know, with how much money they have. Like $250,000 sounds insane to most of us, but to them, it's actually not that much yeah there's i mean there's a lot of uh multi-millionaires and billionaires in the world that like to do this sort of thing mm -hmm. so you're not going to feel a difference the sub was launched in international water so it didn't have to abide by the u.s coast guard regulations including the pesky passenger vessel safety act of 1993 this was enacted to prohibit dives past 150 feet and provide strict inspection and manufacturing requirements for subs in an article with the Smithsonian Magazine, Stockton told the interviewer that the law was well-meaning, but he believed it needlessly prioritized passenger safety over commercial innovation. He told the interviewer there hasn't been an injury in the commercial sub-industry in over 35 years. It's obscenely safe because they have all these regulations, but it also hasn't innovated or grown because they have all of these regulations. Safety would prove to be an issue and a point of contention for OceanGate and Stockton Rush. Here are some of Stockton's other views on safety. At some point, safety just is pure waste. I mean, if you just want to be safe, don't get out of bed. Don't get in your car. Don't do anything. Yeah. At some point, you're going to take some risk. And it really is a risk-reward question. I said, I think I can do this just as safely by breaking the rules. But as he told me, look, safety is relative. If you want complete safety in your life, don't get out of bed. That's what he said. When I start business, one of the things you'll find, there are other sub-operators out there, but they, they typically um, have uh, gentlemen who are ex-military submariners, and they you'll see a whole bunch of 50-year-old white guys. So we've really tried to, to get um, very intelligent, motivated, younger individuals involved because we're doing things that are completely new. So in January of 2018, Ocean Gates Director of Marine Operations and Submersible Pilot, David Lockridge began to raise some safety concerns. He thought that the sub was dangerous as it was and that big changes needed to be made. He brought up that the 15-inch acrylic window on the sub was only rated for 1,300 meters, even though the company claimed that the sub was rated for more than 4,000 meters. David's lawyers wrote that the paying passengers would not be aware and would not be informed of this experimental design. Just because it's rated at 1,300 meters doesn't necessarily mean it'll automatically break up at depths lower than that. It's just not been rated or guaranteed that it won't break at that depth. And what likely happened was 
the previous dives to those deeper depths pushed the operational limits of the window, and the pressure created micro cracks that worsened with each dive. And finally, on the recent dive, the window was now too weak to withstand the pressure and broke. There was also the issue of the carbon fiber hull. David thought that it was too thin and it wasn't undergoing the proper testing. The issue was also the material itself, as carbon fiber isn't built to withstand the compression forces at the deep depths of the ocean. There was also the issue of the mix of materials used to build the sub. Here's a former U.S. Navy personnel talking about the whole issue. I mean, would you fly in an airplane that somebody excitedly tell you, well, it's going to be a lot cheaper because we found a new way of attaching the wings? Yeah, right. When you have different materials, different molecular structure, they have different coefficients of expansion and compression, and you then you make repeated cycles in depth, of course you're going to work that seal loose. And that's why submarines don't run around with, with any portholes at all, come to think of it. It's a weak point. In a 2021 interview, Stockton said, I've broken some rules to make Titan. I think I've broken them with logic and good engineering behind me. The carbon fiber and titanium, there's a rule you don't do that. Well, I did. David also said that he wanted to get Titan certified, but OceanGate declined because of the costs. So he had refused to greenlight man tests of the early models of the submersible over safety concerns and was fired for this. They sued him for breach of contract, revealing confidential information about Titan, and he filed a counterclaim for wrongful termination for being a whistleblower about the sub's lack of safety. 38 experts with the Manned Underwater Vehicles Committee of the Marine Technology Society sent a letter to Stockton in March of 2018. They were concerned about the safety of the sub. They said the company's experimental approach could have minor to catastrophic consequences. And get this, years ago, David wrote an email to a deep-sea exploration specialist and project associate of OceanGate named Robert McCollum with concerns. In the email, he said, quote, I would consider myself pretty ballsy when it comes to doing things that are dangerous, but the sub is an accident waiting to happen. There's no way on earth you could have paid me to dive that thing. Rob McCollum also wrote to Stockton in March of 2018, warning him about potential safety issues with the sub. He urged OceanGate not to use the sub until they had it certified, but Stockton wouldn't hear it. He said he was tired of industry players who try to use safety, the safety argument, to stop innovation. McCallum said, I think you are potentially placing yourself and your clients in a dangerous dynamic. In your race to the Titanic, you are mirroring that famous catch cry. She is unsinkable. Stockton replied and said, we have heard the baseless cries of you are going to kill someone way too often. I take this as a serious personal insult. And so Stockton continued to press on and he found passengers willing to pay to ride on the sub. Titan completed its first Titanic dive in July of 2021. It had conducted 14 Titanic expeditions in the past, six in 2021, seven in 2022. And there were multiple dives planned for 2023, but as we know, there would only be one. Titan went on 14 previous Titanic expeditions, and things didn't go exactly fine every time. But everyone lived and the sub didn't break but there were some hard-to-ignore issues. On a previous Titan expedition, the occupants were stuck in the sub for 27 hours. The sub was on the water's surface, but the water was so choppy that they had to wait to be loaded back onto the mothership. On Titan's first dive to the Titanic, there was an issue with the battery, and the sub had to be manually attached to the lifting platform. There were more battery issues with the sub in 2022. Journalist David Pogue also went on a dive that year, and he said there were multiple issues the sub encountered. For one, the thrusters were installed backwards, making steering an issue. Stockton had to solve this by operating the controller sideways. Not only that, but the sub lost communications with the surface ship for five hours. They could still text back and forth, but the surface ship didn't know where the sub was. David described the situation as very tense. He claimed they shut off the ship's Wi-Fi so that nobody on board could tweet about the situation. David said he knew the sub was jerry-rigged, but he went anyway because he was convinced by Stockton's credentials. He'd insisted that the sub was safe, specifically pointing to the carbon fiber hole. And despite all these problems, the expeditions continued. So now let's talk about the most recent expedition. The first 2023 Titan dive was planned in February, and the passengers were booked by Stockton. That month, 
Stockton offered Jay Bloom, a Vegas millionaire, and his son discounted tickets at $150,000 per person. Stockton told them that a ride in the sub was safer than a helicopter ride, scuba diving, or even crossing the street. That is insane. The first dive was originally scheduled in May. Due to the bad weather, it was pushed out to later in the month. That date was then postponed again due to bad weather, and this time the dive date would be June 18th. Jay's son was very nervous. He said his friend researched all the risks and scared him. Stockton tried to reassure them, but Jay and his son ultimately turned down the offer. The passengers had to sign waivers that would amendify Ocean Gate against loss, such as physical injury, emotional distress, and even death. Death was apparently mentioned three times in the first page of the waiver. The waiver also said that the Titan was an experimental ship that hadn't been certified by any regulatory bodies. Here's a former passenger talking about the safety and that waiver. Someone walks into this surprised. Before you even get on, you sign this long, long waiver that mentions possible death three times on the first page. So you know what you're getting into. On every dive we took, they lost communication. You know going in how very dangerous this is. Yet he's also like, hmm, yeah. it's just as safe as walking across the street. But you might die three times on this waiver, but... Can you believe he said that? No. That's crazy, man. So there were five people set to make the dive on the Titan that June. Three tourists, a guide, and the sub's pilot. The first passenger is 58-year-old British billionaire and explorer Hamish Harding. Hamish was previously a space tourist who flew on Blue Origin's suborbital rocket mission, and he holds the world record for the fastest circumnavigation of the world by plane, which was on a Gulfstream G650ER. He was also an experienced submersible pilot. The next two passengers were 48-year-old Pakistani billionaire Shahzada Dawood and his 19-year-old son, Suleiman. Shahzada had been highly interested in the Titanic since he was a child. He was the heir of the Pakistani conglomerate, Dawood Hercules Corporation. Suleiman was allegedly a last-minute addition, and he hadn't really wanted to go. Suleiman told a relative he wasn't really up for it and felt terrified about it. Suleiman was a smart kid who was attending the University of Strathclyde in Glasgow, Scotland. He was very skilled with a Rubik's Cube as he went everywhere with it, and his fastest solve was something like 12 seconds. In fact, Suleiman had brought a Rubik's Cube with him on the submersible so he could break a world record for the deepest solve. He had already contacted the Guinness Book of World Records and brought his camera to prove the solve. According to his mom, Christine, he was actually really excited to go. She said that originally Christine was supposed to go with Shazada, but she let him take her spot because he really wanted to go. Which I know there's some yeah. different reports about that. Some mm -hmm. say that he wasn't at all excited to go and that he ended yeah. up doing it for his dad for Father's Day. That's what I read. Um, but then other sources are saying that he was ultimately excited because he was going to get that Guinness World Book of Records for Deepest Solve. Mm. So just putting both Maybe out Maybe at there. some point he yeah. kind of changed his mind towards it. Right. So sad. So the guide was 77-year-old French Navy commander Paul-Henri uh, Narjolet. He was a French mariner and explorer who was one of the foremost Titanic experts. He'd visited the wreckage before. In fact, he had been there the most out of everyone, visiting at least 37 times he was actually given the nickname Mr. Titanic. For this expedition, Paul Henri would serve as the guide, and Ocean Gate founder Stockton Rush would pilot the submersible. The other three passengers were called mission specialists, although they were essentially just people paying for a tour. The mothership for this expedition was the MV Polar Prince, a converted icebreaker research ship that would launch out of Newfoundland. The crew departed on June 16th from St. John's, Newfoundland, Canada, on the Polar Prince, which was carrying the Titan on board. Each of the five would travel on that ship. Once they arrived at the dive site, they'd board, and the Titan would launch from the mothership. The dive from the surface to the Titanic was supposed to take about two hours. Overall, the trip in the submersible would last about eight hours, which roughly four hours was going to and from the wreckage, and about four hours touring it. The Polar Prince arrived at the dive site the next day, June 17th. Hamish posted on Instagram, due to the worst winter in Newfoundland in 40 years, this mission is likely to be the first and only crewed mission to the Titanic in 2023. 
A weather window has just opened up and we're going to attempt to dive tomorrow. More expedition updates to follow if the weather holds. A dive attempt was planned for the next day, June 18th at 8 a.m., but the dive didn't start until four hours later. The crew boarded the Titan and the Polar Prince launched the sub and their dive officially began at 12 o'clock p.m. They were supposed to contact the Polar Prince every 15 minutes to make sure everything was going according to plan. They were also able to send short text messages to each other. And for an hour and 45 minutes, it seemed like everything was going smoothly. The sub should have been almost at the Titanic wreckage. The vessel and the Ocean Gate surface staff last communicated at 1.45 p.m. as scheduled. But then right after that, transponder signal and communications from the sub were lost. Another 15 minutes rolled by and it was time for another check-in. If all was going well, they'd be at the wreck. But the vessel didn't check in with surface staff. Of course, they immediately tried to get a hold of the vessel, but there was no answer. They'd officially lost communication. Hours rolled by and the vessel was originally supposed to surface again at 7 p.m., but that time came and went, and there was no sign of it anywhere. Hours passed, and still there was no sign of the Titan. So at 9.40 p.m., surface staff alerted the authorities about an overdue sub. What are your thoughts on them, the surface staff, waiting so long before calling authorities instead of like right when they lost communication i don't really understand why well i think because this happens almost every time it sounds like that mm. they lose communications with the sub so they don't so. want to raise the alarms right okay, I see. right I, see. I think they're like we'll give it a little bit extra time an extra hour or two and then if we're, we don't get any communication back with them then that's that's cause for concern but mm. they did say almost every expedition they would lose communication with the sub yeah that's true so a response operation immediately began. The U.S. and Canadian Navy, Coast Guard, Air Force, and National Guard raced to get to the dive site. They dispatched search aircraft, a Navy ship, and multiple research and commercial ships. They also sent out underwater ROVs or remotely operated vehicles. Underwater sonar technology was used to try and detect the sub. Even commercial planes flying over the wreckage were asked to keep a lookout. There was a possibility that the passengers were alive and trapped in the sub, which would just be a nightmare. The sub was potentially underwater, somewhere stuck, or unable to move, or lost at the water's surface somewhere. So it was a race against time. The Titan had 96 hours, or four days, worth of breathable oxygen on board, and this would mean that the oxygen would expire the morning of June 22nd. But that would depend on multiple factors, like whether or not the sub had power, whether or not the passengers remained calm. Because if they were anxious or hyperventilating, obviously they're going to use up air a lot faster. And what's so crazy, I think the scariest part about it to me, is that the submersible cannot be opened from the inside. It has to be unbolted and opened from the outside. So the occupants can't open the vessel themselves. But this wouldn't really matter anyway if they were underwater. If they could open the door inward, Obviously, they wouldn't even be able to survive the pressure at that depth underwater. And they would not be able to open the door outward at really any depth lower than a meter due to pressure anyway. But where the door would matter, though, is on the surface. If the vessel was able to surface and the occupants could open it from the inside, they could potentially get some life-saving fresh air. So the issue is, even if the vessel surfaced, they would have to be discovered by rescuers to get fresh air. It would be very hard for them to spot a rectangular silver object in the open ocean. And so that was, you know, the idea for a while there. There was a lot of talk about that, that maybe they're just floating on the surface somewhere. They can't open the vessel themselves, and it was a race to find them. And there's a lot of stuff floating around in that part of the water, so Titan could easily be missed. And if it had floated to the surface, it wasn't like the whole thing would rise above. Only a few inches of the top would be visible. There's also the issue of food and water, of course. The five occupants had limited rations, and it was unknown exactly how much food and water were on board. The search efforts expanded to the point where many different countries were involved, and over the course of five days, an area the size of Massachusetts was searched. But searchers had to overcome big obstacles. The weather conditions were bad, GPS didn't work underwater, the depth was very deep, and the water was very cold, and there was no known location of the Titan. The U.S. Navy has a network of secret underwater sensors used to detect enemy submarines, and they reported around the time that the sub lost communications that a sensor in its vicinity detected an anomaly consistent with an implosion or explosion. But an official said that the search for the Titan continued because there was no other evidence 
of a disaster, but prospects were grim. Meanwhile, people at OceanGate were no doubt in panic mode as all this was going on. The company's legal and operational advisor, David Concanon, had some interesting things to say about the U.S. government's involvement in the search. David was actually supposed to be on that dive, but he pulled out last minute due to an urgent client matter. He had been on three previous Titanic expeditions in the past. David told a media outlet, quote, I don't want to discourage the government officials that are helping because they're doing their jobs, but we need to do it quicker. He also vaguely threatened on Facebook to release the names of U.S. government officials he was speaking with who he claimed weren't doing their jobs, saying, we are working this problem hard. We have solutions and we are trying extremely hard to implement them. I hope to get a few hours of sleep, wake up, and see very positive responses from the U.S. government in my inbox. If I don't, the whole world will know the names of the people who did not do their jobs. Really odd. He's like threatening to expose the government officials that are working on this. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can't really do that, dude. It's, I don't know. It seems very panicking. That doesn't make your mm-hmm. case look any better by panicking. Like, I hope I go to sleep and then wake up. Otherwise, I'm going to expose people. Yeah. Well, I think it's coming from a place of panic, too, and fear. Yeah. You know? But yeah, it's but definitely a weird move. I just feel like that's pretty um, unprofessional looking mm-hmm. on their part. Yeah, I agree. Also, the sub was launched in international waters, specifically so it could skirt U.S. safety regulations. And now he was asking for faster resources from the country whose rules they didn't want to follow. One Twitter user summed it up pretty well. He said, I don't know, David. I think we already know who didn't do their jobs. One of them is named David Concanon, the advisor to the Ocean Gate on the Titan sub that skirted safety and design regulations to allow people to book trips in a death trap. And then many of you probably heard about Hamish Hardin's stepson, Brian Cezaz, who made headlines after he made some Facebook posts on June 19th, about a day after the sub went missing. The first post read, Hamish, my stepdad, is lost in a submarine. Thoughts and prayers that the rescue mission will be successful. But only a few minutes later, Brian posted a picture of him by the merch tent at a Blink-182 show in San Diego. And he wrote, It might be distasteful being here, but my family would want me to be at the Blink-182 show as it is my favorite band and music helps me in difficult times. Heart prayer emoji. You've probably heard a lot about these posts and an interesting tweet he made to an OnlyFans model as well, taking his opportunities as they come. The post even caught Cardi B's attention and they started to beef online. So that's... This whole story really started to take a very interesting twist at this point. Here's what Cardi B had to say and Brian's response. Okay, so one of the billionaires that's missing on the on the water. If you're confused, from that submarine. On. One of the billionaires, their stepson, is at a concert, right? At a Blink 182 concert. And people is like, um, well, what is he supposed to do? Be sad at the house? Is he supposed to go look for himself? Yes. You're supposed to be at the house sad. You're supposed to be crying for me. You're supposed to be right next to the phone waiting to hear any updates about me. You're supposed to be uh, counseling your mom and shit. Like, isn't it sad that you a whole fucking billionaire and nobody gives a fuck about you? Like, like you missing and motherfucking ready to shake at concert. That's crazy. I'd rather be broke. I'd rather be broke than like and poor, but knowing that I'm love. Like, so you take a complete like Cardi B has no idea what's going on. Her career is so in such turmoil. She needs clout off other people's suffering. And she's like, eh, he won't go help. He goes to a rock concert. This and that tries to use the situation to exploit like the news. They're not like feeling sorry that my mom has to take care of two kids. Not really giving a f- that my stepdad's probably 99% chance he's dead. That doesn't matter. It doesn't care how we feel. Just trying to like make gains. People like um, trolling, getting hate mail, all these things. And it's just up. And to have Cardi B behind it, Cardi B, like, fuck, grow up, get some class. Like, you're tasteless. Damn. T. <laughs> have any thoughts on that, Josh? <laughs> Drama. I, I think, I don't know. I think it goes out of line for Cardi B to comment on this i do too i i I sort of it wasn't just her though it's like the entire internet yeah i sort of get what she's saying but again it's like it's not your place to say that right like everybody deals with 
these mm-hmm. situations differently. I do agree. And would it be my it choice mean that to go to a Blink One Eighty Two concert? No. And tweet about it. Like obviously, it's it's all weird, it's but strange. it's not it's not your job to judge no. that. Like, Mm-mm. and then to be like, oh well, nobody gives a fuck about him because he's rich, and mm-hmm. you know, I'd rather be poor. Like, I get what you're saying by that, but like, this is wrong time, wrong place. Doesn't. And why did she have that ridiculous filter on? It just that? yeah, it's like, just clown show. If you ask me, the whole thing got pretty clowny. Anyway, it was reported that in the search area, there were banging noises detected in 30 minute intervals during the 20th and the 21st. The audio floated around the Internet, but this has been unconfirmed audio not released by investigators. So it's obvious that it might not be authentic. And later, these noises were determined to be unrelated to the Titan. But when that happened, didn't you get like a tinge of hope? I started getting. What do you think? You think they picked up like them banging on the inside? Yeah, because I had read that they have a hammer or something that they use to to try to like use alert to the outside yeah i mean that's like the only thing you could do right and there have been other submarines or submersibles in the past who who they have rescued people within uh like the pisces 2 i believe it's called they rescued people within 12 minutes of them losing oxygen they were literally about you know done and they they rescued them so i started getting hopeful i thought maybe you know i don't know i knew it was a small chance but yeah i just don't hope a little i mean bit, right? when you hear those navy sensors i just i think that it sounds it have to be a lot louder than hammers yeah. banging on the walls i know for that to i mean but what do i know about up? fucking submersibles <laughs> it's true i just read it and thought that's exciting maybe maybe there'll be a, mir- a miracle here who knows So while the search continued, people started discussing various potential outcomes and theorizing what may have happened to the sub. June 22nd came and it was declared that even if the sub was still intact, the passengers had no oxygen left. It was official even if they found the sub, the passengers would not be alive. Many people believe that the sub likely imploded shortly after it lost contact. There is also the discussion of the possibility of the sub being stuck somewhere, maybe even in the Titanic wreckage. However, if that were the case, they would still most likely be able to communicate with the mothership, but there was no distress signal sent or further communication with the ship, which made it more likely that an implosion happened. For those that don't know, an implosion is basically the inverse of an explosion. In an explosion, things move outward. Think about like fireworks. In an implosion, things move inward with great force. Think a can or a bottle crumpling in on itself. Things that implode can still blow debris outward. Think of a full water bottle being crushed by a tire. The water will move outward and the vessel could have imploded due to a mechanical failure or it took some sort of external damage. The other possibility people were discussing was some sort of emergency that kept the ship intact. They were discussing the possibility of some sort of technical malfunction that stopped the vessel from moving or moving in the right direction. There's also the question of hypothermia if the power went out. Then it would get very, very cold inside due to the water being 39 degrees Fahrenheit. So not freezing 32 degrees Fahrenheit, but very cold. The chance of rescuing the Titan was unfortunately slim from the beginning. According to Titanic expert Tim Malton, a sub-to-sub rescue on the seabed would be impossible. So searchers scoured the ocean for the Titan for 80 hours until on June 22nd, an ROV found debris from the Titan near the Titanic wreckage. It was concluded that a catastrophic implosion occurred with no possibility of survival. The five victims would have died instantly. There have been some indication that there was a problem, but it would have been very brief, maybe seconds, and death would have been instant and immediate falling. People have asked if they're going to attempt to recover bodies, and officials wouldn't answer that at the press conference. We're not quite sure. Um, What we do know is that this was probably... This was the best possible outcome next to them surviving. You know, they probably didn't even have time to comprehend what had happened or what was happening. The ROVs were not initially able to bring the debris to the surface because it was too heavy, but debris was recently recovered and brought to shore. Both the U.S. and Canada will be conducting a joint investigation into the Titan disaster. Debris from the Titan was located about 1,600 feet from the Titanic and roughly 12,500 feet underwater the recovery mission was able to bring back pieces of the tail cone electronics and other parts of the sub they also found titanium covers for both ends of the sub the front tail cone was missing its viewpoint window 
So some people believe this was the cause of the implosion after all. And reports have come in that human remains were discovered in the wreckage. We don't know more than that as of right now. But it is pretty surprising that they found anything at all, but it seems very unlikely that it was soft tissue of any kind. Probably was a tooth or a bone fragment embedded in the metal or something like that. I was just kind of looking at this a little bit more the other day, and Mythbusters actually did an episode about deep sea diving pressure high enough to cause an implosion. And they did an experiment with, they they were using like animal remains inside of a, a diving suit. And they did it at 300 feet and they showed what would happen if it depressurized and an implosion occurred. And it basically is like all soft tissues like vaporized. Yeah. Um, but bone is is left behind. But at that depth, yeah, even bone might be blown into fragments. So it's just... Mm-hmm tiny tiny bitty pieces at that point but bone does i believe um is still there so that could be the remains that they found so as we're recording this within the last few days it has come out the titan actually may have attempted to resurface at some point prior to imploding rob mccallum said that he received a report that said when the titan reached 3,500 meters it actually dropped its weights this would mean that they were attempting to abort the dive which is really eerie to think about It's also come out that, which this is like kind of a side note. I just thought it was a little bit interesting. Some people are really taking this and kind of running with it. But Stockton employed college interns to work on the electrical systems of the Titan and were paid about 15 bucks per hour. Mark Walsh um, said that he and another student, Nick Nelson, were initially hired as interns, but then eventually given full-time jobs in Ocean Gate's electrical engineering team. Mm. But I don't know. I I mean, I think that's, you know, great and all that they had interns, but if it really is seeming so like they were some of the main people working on the electrical portion. Yeah, that's concerning. I don't know. Yeah. After the wreckage was discovered, Ocean Gate's headquarters in Everett, Washington closed indefinitely. The Transportation Safety Board of Canada is launching an investigation and the National Transportation Safety Board has also said that the U.S. Coast Guard will lead the investigation. However, their site is still advertising future expeditions. Which yeah, is June wild. of 2024, they have dates on there. But again, at oh, the top boy. of the website, it says all operations yeah. are... Yeah, maybe they just haven't really caught up yeah, to it. Yeah, they probably haven't had time to deal with the website yet. But It has also been reported that officials will investigate data, including voice recordings from the mothership, to try to determine exactly what happened. So more information could come out. Royal Canadian Mounted Police Superintendent Kent Osmond announced that they are working to determine if a criminal investigation is necessary. So there's a lot of people that are upset that there was a migrant ship that sank on the coast of Greece and they didn't get hardly any assistance or media coverage, unlike this particular disaster where there was an arrogant pilot and billionaires on board. And it's seeming, you know, tons of resources were used to go and locate it. It was this big thing. And I mean, this kind of stuff happens all the time across all sorts of different disasters and, mm-hmm. and crimes that we even yeah. talk about, you know, like See different responses right, for different types Depending of on how much wealth you have is. I think that's a fair how, how much help you're going to get essentially anger for people to have. Totally, totally. And a lot of people are also upset that these people didn't need to go on the sub. There is no it's not for scientific research. It mm-hmm. wasn't like to save humanity. Like this was just purely a thrill-seeking adventure. Very similar and to so, Mount Everest. You know, they knew what they were getting into. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's unfortunate that it happened, but it's like it's essentially what they signed up for. And, yeah. you know, I do think people have gone a little too far with it. I mean, people have been pretty brutal. Um, yeah, I mean, they're humans at the end of the day. It was a giant joke before we even yeah. knew if they had right. survived. And yeah, they're humans. No one deserves to die. Yeah. Was it, were they right to do this mission? You know, people have different opinions on that. I don't think they should have done this, especially with all the risks. And, and people are saying like, well, rescuers risk their lives yeah. to go out there. And, and I see and that I, point. Yeah, I get all that. I think there's no reason why people can't, you know, if you do, if you are wealthy and you want to go on a thrill seeking adventure, why should we be the one? Why should anyone be the ones to stop them from doing that? Like if they want to spend 250,000 to go potentially on a, on a, a mission that may but end in death. But if you do death, something like that, should you assume that there's, that people won't come to save you because there's so much risk involved and it's unnecessary? Should it, should they have been 
spending so many so much money and putting so much resources towards rescuing. I don't know. It's it's tough. I don't know how I really feel about it. Yeah, it's a hard, I see some hard question points. to answer because again, there's a lot of people that they just let die that yeah. seem you know, not everyone gets that wealthy response, and don't, right? Yeah, don't get the And a lot of them aren't doing it for a thrill seeking adventure. Well, a lot of a lot of the migrants are fleeing horrible situations in their home countries and trying to to just live somewhere better and Mm -hmm. have a better quality of life and die in the process. Yet no help is given to them. It's it's a really hard question because. It's just it kind of goes back just to the state of the world and, you know, Mm -hmm. the unfortunate reality is those who have more money get more attention from the media because it creates a bigger story it creates yep. more there's more shock and awe and mm-hmm. it brings in more viewers and obviously the media outlets go crazy when these things can happen because it brings in tons of views for them mm-hmm. and it's it's really hard because at the end of the day these are human beings that are on board yeah, this. I mean, and whether or not you you think that on board. they deserve the resources I guess he's to be 19, saved but, still. but ultimately so, yeah. he'd sound like he didn't even want to be on it and no. he ended up That's, being on it really just to, sad just to please his, his dad and it's it's sad all the way around because it's family members it's people's brothers sons yeah. daughters and and it's, and to see it's the easy of to just making a joke yeah out of it's it, easy to poke fun know? at people who are rich and you know they're just wasting their money by doing this and they asked for this or this is what they signed up i think for, you can make those arguments that. without then stooping low enough to just completely clown on them no, I, I think mean, nobody should least, be. Nobody's death should be clowned on. Period. No, and like, it's it's really sad to the families, like you said, that are like watching this all unfold and to see that all play out must have been really painful. And ultimately, Stockton is. I mean, he's very clear about what his mission has been from the beginning. It's been about pushing the bounds yeah. and innovation of of submersibles and human exploration has always come at a cost if you think about I mean, everything it always has come at a cost it does really piss me off though that he said that this was safer than crossing the street it's very misleading and well and you it know goes those back, people if they knew the right. whole story I well and it's like who's on. profiting here right ocean gate ocean gate's profiting yep. majorly off of these expeditions i mean that re- that's the reason why they went for the titanic and started mm-hmm. building a submersible to visit the Titanic because they knew they could charge hundreds of thousands of dollars, yeah, make tons of money mm-hmm. in the process, yeah, and and because they cut corners, people died, and that's what's sad about it is that it's another, it's yet another example of human greed coming mm-hmm. before human lives. And mm-hmm. had had Stockton actually spent the money, did the proper research and proper innovation. And engineering to and craft the vessel until it was fully, you know. Yeah, and improved. you know, do unmanned expeditions on it for a number yeah. of times before you can prove, so you can certify that the sub is safe mm-hmm. at those depths. Mm-hmm. Would have been smart. And when you look at the Titan, it's very. And you know, I was kind of looking through comments and some of the other videos out there, and there's people who chimed in who have engineering backgrounds or really understand submarines. They're saying that it's very obvious that this thing was just an accident waiting to happen. The fact that it's it's seemingly jimmy rigged with all these random parts from random places and you know he's got like security cameras on there from amazon and he's yeah. got camping world lights in there and yeah, then it's he's pretty got jimmy rigged well and then if you look at the construction of submarines and other submersibles it's like you want to have as many failure points as possible so the fact that he's using multiple pieces of carbon fiber for this hole that are all bolted together every single piece and every single bolt that you have on these things is a point of failure the porthole is a point of failure like you heard earlier from uh one of those military guys they're like there's a reason why submarines don't have portholes on them is because yeah it's it's a huge safety concern and obviously he was building a tourist attraction ultimately yep. so that people could dive down and see the titanic wreckage I don't know. But it came out of Seems to me that is we aren't worth supposed it? to do that. Is it worth it? No. So either way you look at it, it, it's a it's a tragic, a tragic story. And there's I think there's definite lessons to be learned here that no no amount of money, no exploration endeavor is worth mm-hmm. you know losing people's lives unless it's somebody who fully understands the risks that they're taking like stockton i think fully understood all the risks involved with doing this 
It's yeah. the others on board, the others that signed right. up and paid tons of money to Ocean Gate yep. who didn't necessarily understand. Well, he needed to convince them. Because you know? it's like also it's Gotta like it. how how many of the individuals that went on these expeditions read through every single bit of this waiver, I would hope understood so. every aspect like, of what they hope. were doing. I mean, who knows? Well, that's the thing is like, knew. I mean, if you ever been on anything dangerous, I mean, not everybody's reading the waivers, right? Mm -hmm. You just kind of sign the waivers like, yeah, death is a possibility here, but you expect that it's going to be a safe people yeah. who bungee jump, people who well, climb Mount Everest. Everything people in life, you're assessing dive. risk. Of course, if you're going to live your life with no risk, then you probably shouldn't get out of bed in the morning because we risk our lives every time we leave our houses. But there are certain things that have a certain amount of risk where you got to weigh that with your life and how much you value your life, right? And this one should have been a big no. Well, especially when there's things in place to prevent these types of things from happening. And yeah. when you have somebody like Stockton at the helm, who's literally trying to find ways to, you know, go find the loopholes in order to make things easier for himself and easier for his company to make more money. It's just always a shame, you know, going out into international yeah. waters and avoiding regulations and things like that. There's a way to do this safely. And he chose not to in the yeah. name of, of pushing the bounds and, being the first to do it, I guess. So I'm most sad for that 19 year old and his mother. God. Yeah. It's like there's, there's families that are mourning their loved ones now. And I yeah. think you have to be I mean, of course I'm that. sad for everyone, but it's like, especially sad to see someone so young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who may have not even wanted to be there. It's very upsetting. So it's like, I think you just got, you gotta, you gotta be respectful with it. I mean, at the end of the day, it's mm -hmm. people's lives are lost and yeah. whether you agree with their decisions or not, or think yeah, it's fair. Yeah, I think you can disagree and, and bring up your points without being disrespectful. Yeah. Yeah. Or but, making crude jokes about it, I think is a little yeah. much. So. Please don't do that in our comments. I know people will. This is the internet, but um, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your thoughts on everything. And it'll be interesting to see what the, the investigations come back with. I bet yeah. you there'll be some more information around it. Yeah. And I think it's pretty clear that the the sounds that were heard, I think the Navy knew straight off the bat what happened. Yeah. That clearly they picked up the implosion when it happened. It seems like they, they ran into an issue, maybe a crack, micro crack in the porthole expanded and water started coming in or something. And then it was just a matter of time before the whole thing imploded. And that's what they picked up. But... I guess the one thing is that it was over before they even knew it and mm -hmm. you know they likely didn't suffer. Yeah. So. Yeah, thinking about them slowly running slowly out of dying. Yeah, that was what was brutal. Yeah. Or yeah. dying from hypothermia or something. Uh, like that would be horrible yeah, or running out of air or something like that. Bad. So. Yeah. But yeah, let us know your thoughts in the comments below. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe. We'll see you guys next week with another one. But until then, keep on taking your mind a mile higher. We'll see you next time.